0: Somebody actually walked up to Tracy and said, hey, do you enjoy traveling with your dad? <laughs> it actually happened. So, <laughs> I don't understand. She's older than I am, but she looks like 10 years younger than I do. Makes no sense at all. It's very unfair. She must be closer to God than I am or something. I don't know. You say, we're aging differently She's aging like wine, and I'm aging like cheese, but it, <laughs> at least we pair nicely together. So uh, I mentioned a couple of things that are out there. Tracy wrote a book. She actually wrote and written like 10, um, but two uh, novels that she's written, one's called The Porches of Holly, and the other one we don't have available, we're sold out of, called The Windows of Holly, both available on Amazon. She was approached, This got a ton of great reviews online and has done really, 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 really well. Uh, There's just a lot of treasure in this book. It's a great story and if you're one of those people, it's like, okay, it's cold outside and I need just something to just cuddle up with in the wintertime and I'm tired of binging Netflix. This uh, this may be something that really speaks life to you, especially because um, what we've seen is is marriages actually dramatically impacted by this. Matter of fact, there was a movie producer um, film producer that works with Disney that read the book and he and his wife both read the book and they were having issues in their marriage and it made such a profound impact on him that he sought out Tracy and said, I want to turn your book into a movie. So they're in pre-production talks about doing that right now with this book so I'm very, very excited about it. it has got just a few copies that are out there. Uh, there's another book that Tracy wrote. It's a kid's book. It's called Life with Lummox. This book is very dear to my heart because everything that this character in this book has done is something I have done. I'm wondering where she got the inspiration for this clumsy character. So I said, fine, if you're going to use me as an inspiration, I get to do all the artwork. So I did. I drew all the illustrations for this. So it was a wonderful collaborative effort. Um, there is a, a book out there called Reckless Grace. It's brand new, just came out a week ago. And if you've ever heard the term fallen from grace, a real common term that people use as if uh, grace is something you fall from. It's not. It's someone you fall into. And if you haven't met him yet, his name is Jesus and he will change your life. Oh my goodness, he will. Um, this, this this book will rock your world in in so many good ways. The first, uh, first time people hear this message, it offends them. And it's by design that it does that because God offends the mind to reveal the heart. And the heart revelation being vulnerable is what gives you the capacity to see that heart changed. And uh, this is a message I started preaching a decade ago, and it changed my life while I was preaching it, and uh, I believe it now more than I did back then. There's uh, a number of USB thumb drives that are out there that have messages and things on them. One has 12 hours of teaching on what we call spiritual joy fare. Uh-huh. It's not about going around beating up on the devil, it's just recognizing who you are and living with such a life of joy that demons can't anywhere, get anywhere near you because uh, uh, demons hate joy. Demons hate joy, and so do religious people. So you just rest in that one. That's, that's great fun. Um, there's one out there called Project 24. It's 24 hours of teaching on identity. Wow. it's a lot of teaching on identity, but I've been doing this for years and years and years, and um, uh, I get more email. I get email every day, off of people who've gotten a hold of that and it's changing their life. And then if you like both of them, you're like, I want to get both of them and get everything out there. There's a the key. It's like a little metal key and it's got like 45 plus hours of teaching on it, video and audio and all that good stuff. So that's all available out there for you. And Trace will be in the back. Somebody asked me, um, will you sign, will sign my book and, and, Give me a prophetic word. So I said, okay. So I did that with one. I feel like I've got to do that with everybody. So I did that at a conference a while back. I was like, I said, hey, yeah, you know, I'll I'll sign every book and throw a prophetic word into it. So I went back to the table and three hours later, I was still sitting at the table. I hadn't written that much longhand in a long, long time. So, small group, maybe we can do that today, too. All right, you've got your Bibles out. I want to um, take you through a study that, t- to me, is just, it's fresh, it's new, it's fun, it's a new covenant, it's happy. But in order to get started, we're going to have to start in the Old Testament. I'm not going to tell you where to go, but we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, so if you want to get there, at least you'll be really close when we get to where we're going to go. <clears throat> but in order to bring out what I want to bring out today, I wanted to, to point to two characters from the Old Testament that you're gonna to need to know a little bit about. <clears throat> they both have something that they're known for. One of them is a guy named Moses, and the other is a character named Elijah. Moses carried a rod, not what he was known for, a rod of authority. Now, the way that Moses actually came about is, is a bit dramatic. I mean, he doesn't show up until later in his, in his life. He kills an Egyptian in Egypt because he sees injustice happening. The injustice button goes off in this guy. So he kills this Egyptian. Now he flees. He's a criminal, he's a felon, he's a murderer. Now he's living out in the backside of the desert for the next 40 years. He's gonna hang out out there. He's gonna go through all kinds of relational gymnastics and difficulties. One day, just when you think that your life is pretty much on the downward slope, he's come, coming along and he sees, out of the corner of his eye, a bush that's on fire, but it's not consumed. There's an interesting part to that story and that is that Moses... It said, he turned aside to see. It's not like God was in the bush going, hey, hey Moses, over here. God just lit up a bush. Wouldn't have been in common in the desert in those days. But Moses thought it was just unusual enough to pay some attention to. Would have been just as easy to miss as it is to catch, but as he's going along, he stops and shifts his focus. And the Bible says, when Moses turned aside to see, Then God spoke. Often to hear the voice of God, you're going to have to respond to the subtle signals that he puts just in your peripheral vision that are just as easy to miss as they are to catch. When Moses turned aside, God spoke, and God speaks to him and says, hey, why don't you go and free the children of Israel? Moses is like, look, you don't understand. I'm not a public speaker. I can't even speak. I stutter. I got a bad problem. And he's like, it's all right, I got a spokesperson for you. Okay, so fine, I got a spokesperson, but, but I, I don't know how to do that. I don't have any armies, I don't have any weapons. God says, oh, what do you got in your hand? It's says staff. And he says, with you and your spokesperson Aaron and that stick in your hand, I'm gonna bring freedom to an entire nation. It's weird, God's timing is strange. It seems like it comes super late. 430 years, the children of Israel have been in Egypt in slavery, and now it's time to liberate them. You would have thought that God would have grabbed Moses in his prime, but he doesn't, it's not until later in life. Some of you feel like you're on the downward slope of things. God still wants to speak to you. He still wants to commission you, and he may have still your greatest assignment ahead. And you say, well, I don't have the strength for it. When it's revealed to you and you say yes for it, you'll find the strength for it. That's the grace of God in your life, the empowering favor, the force of God in your life to overcome things that right now in your own strength you could never overcome. Uh, I I have this wonderful mom. She is like one of the greatest, greatest people ever. She grew up in a minister's home. Dad was a pastor. She married a minister and now she of course is the mom of a minister. She in the last five years has gotten a revelation of the love of God. Just the last five years. And the funny thing is, is she is a different person than the person I grew up with. She just got back from Mozambique. She went over to Mozambique to feed uh, orphans with Heidi Baker. And one day they fed 5,000 children. She hugged over 1,000 kids and she wants. she comes back and... I said, Mom, you, you barely have running water, clean water over there. It's like it's, it, it's, it's a dangerous environment. They were beheading people just up the road from where she was. She's like, There's so much love, just so much the glory of God. I can't wait to go back. I'd spend my whole life, the rest of my life, just hugging kids. Like 79 years old. And she feels like she's just getting started. You follow her on Facebook, which I highly encourage you to do. You can see all the wonderful miracles that God is doing through her. She was out yesterday uh, going around around Orlando, praying with people, and she just looks for anybody who looks like they need a grandma hug and walks up to them and just starts loving on them, ministering to them. It's amazing. 79, and she'll say to me, Bill, I'm just getting it now. It's not too late. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Moses and his Staff. Go to Pharaoh one day and God says, Moses, I want to show Pharaoh my power. Take that staff and throw it down. And he does. And when he does, it becomes a snake. Fortunately, this one did not. Yeah, me too. Super glad. Becomes a snake. And Pharaoh's magicians, they throw their staffs down too and the same effect happens. And uh, because there's power in darkness, but it's never more powerful than the power of God. And in a very cool story, Moses' snake slithers over and eats all those staffs of the Egyptian magicians, and Moses grabs it by the tail, picks it up, and voila, it's a stick all over again. That's a cool story, no matter how you slice or dice it. It's pretty neat. The most dramatic thing with Moses' staff is when he gets to the Red Sea, and he's got the children of Israel there. 1.2 million people, and he's got behind him Pharaoh's army coming about to slaughter them, and now they're stuck in a spot they can't get out of. And he says to God, what do I do? And he says, stretch out your staff. And as he does, the water parts. You guys all seen the movie? The water parts, and they walk across to the other side. A stuttering man, a stuttering old man, and a stick. Liberate an entire nation. Because this rod, as simple as it is, represents authority. And in order to walk in the authority of God, Moses just simply had to respond to the word of the Lord. A principle then that is still true now because you and I carry authority. I'll talk more about that later. But authority is activated by responding to the word of the Lord. See, it's, it's the power of God flowing through your life. And the thing about the power of God is this. You never know how powerful you are until you aim your authority at a problem. And the problem before Moses was the Red Sea. It was an obstacle. The will of God was that they get to the promised land on the other side of the Red Sea. So the Red Sea symbolizes an obstacle to the will of God. And with authority, responding to the word of the Lord, Moses simply does this, stretches out the rod and the Red Sea parts. The obstacle parts as if it's not even there. And then they walk through to the other side. When they get to the other side, he turns around and he reverses the whole process. The water comes back, destroys all of Pharaoh, army, and so the very thing that became their obstacle was turned into their salvation. Fascinating, because I think when Jesus told us to love our enemies, it wasn't uh, just, just uh, a way of letting them roll over you. It was the idea that uh, in loving your enemies, you actually position your heart to receive them when God touches them and the adversary becomes your advocate. Strange how that can work, but I've seen it happen many, many times in my life where your enemies actually end up becoming your friends. The thing that was once an obstacle actually begins to work in your favor. And so Moses, that rod of authority, accomplished quite a lot. There's a couple of times where God has Moses feed the thirst of the children of Israel out of a rock. And in one instance, he tells Moses, strike the rock, and he does. He takes the rod Bam, hits the rock with it and water comes out and quenches the thirst of the entire nation. Another time, God tells Moses, speak to the rock. Again, responding to the word of the Lord. But Moses apparently doesn't want to talk. He'd rather text. And so he takes and grabs the rod and hits the rock again. And in this case, he was disobedient. So there was something about this. It's always in responding. Authority, listen, authority is never something we operate in independent of the presence of God, independent of the word of the Lord, authority, spiritual authority, is something we always operate in in response to the word of the Lord, okay? So we listen for the voice of God. Second is a guy named Elijah. Elijah didn't carry a rod of authority. Elijah carried a mantle of anointing. Ah, this is just a scarf. I don't consider it as anything more than just a nice neck warmer I was in a meeting one time in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Funny story. And uh, it was cold, wintertime, snow outside, and I had a plane to catch. And I had just finished a session, and then I had to head straight to the airport. When I got done with the session, there was a whole bunch of people who wanted to talk, so they lined up, and so I was praying with people, and, and we were having a great time, and it was really, really good. And suddenly I realized that the guy who was driving me to the airport, he says, he says, man, we got to get out of here now, you're going to be late for your flight. And I'm oh, no. It's like... 100 people left, and I, ah, I can't, can't get to them all. That's what I got to do. So excuse myself, apologized, and went past the group. And at the very end of the row, there was this kid, couldn't have been more than 15 years old, standing at the end of the row. And as I walked by, and here I got this scarf, I see the disappointed look on his face. He'd been waiting for a long, long time. And I never said anything to him. I just took the scarf, and I don't know, just it was just a spur-of-the-moment thing. I took the scarf, and I just looped it over his neck, and I just kept on walking, just gave it to him. And he hollers after me and goes, what mantle is this? <laughs> like, it's a scarf. <laughs> I don't, and so the first thing that came out of my mind, or my mouth and, and, and out of my head was, I don't know, ask the Holy Spirit, he'll tell you. I just left it. Didn't think a thing of it. You know, gave a, gave a scarf away, no big deal, right? A year later, I'm in Detroit and this lady shows up to the meeting and she goes, you don't know me, but you met my grandson a year ago. And uh, he was at a conference, he was waiting to talk to you and you didn't have time to talk to him, but on your way out, you put your scarf over his neck. And um, I just wanted to let you know, I said, yeah, I totally remember that. Wow, that's wild. She goes, well, he took that scarf to school and he started putting it on his sick classmates and they started getting healed. And a revival has broken out in that school where now he started like this Bible club and all these kids are coming to it and it's just like, it's okay, as she's telling me, I would love to tell you, I'm totally rejoicing. You know, I'm like, wow, that's amazing. As she's telling me this, Here's the thought that's going through my mind, Tim. I want that scarf back. Like, what? what? Because it never did anything for me other than keep my neck warm and looked reasonably cool. But that was it. See, anointing, anointing is not so much in the object. Anointing has to do with your faith. Right? It has to do with, for whatever reason, he believed Something that became manifest when he did something with a, just an intangible or a tangible uh, piece of cloth that i didn 't think anything special about, but he did, and God started using it. God will look for ways to leak out through your life in avenues of faith, and sometimes it 's radical, crazy faith. Um, we were on Friday night <laughs> we were in uh, in Baltimore attending a birthday party at a Chinese restaurant. You never know where God is going to show up. You just never know. And at this birthday party, um, the the lady who's there is a a pastor's wife, friend of ours, and she says, I'd like you to to get up and preach if you would. (laughs) I'm like, wow, in a Chinese restaurant, that'll be interesting, right? So I get up and just start just sharing. And all of a sudden, man, I feel the presence of the Lord in the room. And I'm just kind of walking around in between tables just sharing. And there's a number of people that are there for the birthday party, but the restaurant's packed. And I reach over and I put my hand on this one lady's head, and she falls out of the chair onto the floor. And then again and again and again, and it happens. And pretty soon, it was like, man, God has hit this room. So we started calling for people who were suffering with depression. That was the mode of the moment. It was like, if you're suffering with depression right now, get up here. And so now we have a line of people, some with the birthday party, some not with the birthday party. And this one guy who wasn't even with the birthday party comes and stands up here. And, and so I put my hands on him and the guy just starts doing this thing. It's like back and forth like this. And he starts smiling and I go to let go of him and he goes, don't let go of me. I'm going to fall over total stranger, no idea who this guy is. And God's just hitting this guy. One person after another is just boom, boom, out on the floor in the middle of a Chinese restaurant. And all of a sudden these guys, these ex-addicts that are part of this church get up and gather in a circle and start singing at the top of their lungs, being thrown upon the praises of a thousand generations, you are worthy Lord of all. It was like one of the trippiest Chinese restaurant moments I've ever had in my life, freaky, freaky cool, food was okay but, but the glory was amazing, it was, it was incredible, Anointing's a, an interesting thing because anointing works a little different than authority, authority you respond to the word of the Lord, anointing you respond to the wind of the Spirit The wind of the Spirit is like the slightest nudge that fills the sail of a boat and moves it in a specific direction. I didn't get any specific word that we're supposed to minister in a specific way in this Chinese restaurant, but I did get a slight nudge of the wind of the Spirit and could see what the Lord intended to do. But it always requires our responding and aligning and agreeing with it. The Holy Spirit is is amazing that way. He just slightly nudges you with the wind of his presence. And if you allow yourself to be sensitive to the wind of the Spirit, then you can walk in a constant, just a constant awareness of the presence of God upon your life and always be anointed for any moment that happens. It doesn't have to happen in a service. Last night, I don't know if I didn't see him here this morning, but, uh, oh yeah, our brother here last night came in with a back issue from a construction issue, and, and we didn't pray here in the service. We prayed outside in the foyer. And I felt like the Lord said, he's going to be healed as soon as he walks out the door. And I had just this overwhelming sense of joy. He goes outside, comes running back in with absolutely, just the most glorious look on his face, like, oh my goodness, God just touched him. He went outside and God touched his back and, and uh, he walked out very slowly in a lot of pain and ran back in. Just, I was like, oh, come on, Jesus, you're amazing that way. But it happened out there, not up here. That's the thing. You You never know where this stuff's going to happen. We used to pray for people all the time in church to be healed, and when we'd pray for people in church, we would find that nine out of ten times there was nothing measurable that happened in the moment. Ten percent. Up here at an altar, we pray for. If we could get them outside, if we go outside of the building, 90% of the time something would happen. Don't ask me why that happens. I think it's because God is trying to get us to keep from from making the power something that we only give place to in here. Right? Divine health is something you walk in, so divine healing is what you can release when you go out there. And we don't heal people just to bring people to Christ. Ooh, does that sound weird? I thought it was an evangelistic tool. No, we heal. We release the healing power of Jesus to demonstrate the love of the Father. He loves his kids, and he wants to demonstrate what he's like and who he is. But healing was never used to put anybody into a headlock saying, now you owe Jesus something. And one of the reasons why I think we don't see more breakthrough in America in healing, easy in third world countries, but not easy here. And one of the reasons why I don't think we see uh, a breakthrough here is because we are not used to giving without expecting something in return. So when we go pray for somebody, the person on the end of that prayer feels like, wait a minute, if I respond to what you're saying, I'm going to owe you. You go to a third world country and they can totally receive without, I don't, I don't have anything to give anyway. So I'm just receiving, giving without expecting, receiving without expecting to have to give you anything back. And receiving miracles in that environment is super easy. Receiving miracles in this environment is not Because it always seems to come with an ulterior motive. And when you go with the purpose of just releasing the anointing, the love of Christ, just to show people what he's like and how he loves, not needing them to respond. They don't even need to say yes to Jesus. If that sounds heretical to you, just let that sit there for a second. But as long as we keep using healing as an evangelistic method, we're not going to see the breakthrough that our heart longs for. But once healing purely becomes an expression of the love of God to people who may never say yes, Yes, you'll see it flowing through you like a river. And pretty soon it just becomes super easy. Why? Because you don't have to be the one that heals. He's the one that does it. I feel like I'm giving you a ton of stuff to think about in here. Crazy. Most people like healing as long as it's an evangelistic method. Take it to a third world country sometime, watch somebody get healed, and then see them walk away, never intending to follow Jesus. And you're just like, whoa, what was the point and the purpose of that? to show the love of God, to tell him what he's like. Elijah carried a mantle of anointing, and and it was, I don't know what it was, maybe it was like a large cloak, maybe it was something hung all the way to the ground, who knows, maybe it was like like a, a sheet or a blanket or something along those lines. So here's Elijah with this mantle of anointing, and Elijah has a successor, a guy by the name of Elisha. And Elisha's an interesting character because he, he does what none of the other prophets are willing to do. And that is that he's gonna follow Elijah like, like nothing, man. I'm, just, I'm not letting you go. I'm not letting you out of my sight. And the day that Elijah's gonna be taken up, he tries to lose Elisha four times. And Elisha keeps saying, as surely as the Lord lives, I'm not leaving you. And they finally get to a, another body of water Oddly enough, not the Red Sea, it's the Jordan River. And Elijah comes up to the Jordan River and he does this thing. And the water parts and they walk to the other side. Now, if I'm Elisha, I'm like, (laughs) I want that. He gets to the other side and Elisha asks Elijah something incredibly bold. He says, I want double of what you have. Now, you can't give away what you don't have. And so, if that was a possible thing, then you know, we just go around doubling every anointing we carry. But that's not the way it works. You can't give away what you don't have. But Elijah discerns by the Spirit that God actually wants to give Elisha a double portion of anointing. And so he says, Listen, if you see me when I'm taken, then you can have what you've asked for. Now, this seems like a simple enough request. No big deal. But it's a test. The eyes eyes are now focused if you see me when I'm taken. All right, so Elisha's like, easy enough. Eyes on you like a laser beam. The problem is now God is going to set up a test. And coming out of the sky, here is a chariot and horses and just for added effect, they're on fire. <laughs> it's it's almost cruel when you think about it. It's like God's like, all right, let's see if he can stay focused. Light up some horses and a chariot, you know. Hitch them up and light them up. Let's go, you know. And here, this flaming chariot and horses says doesn't just go out out of the corner of the vision. Splits the two of them. Comes right down in between them. Amazing sight. And Elisha cries out like, Are you seeing this? but he doesn't take his eyes off of Elijah. And we oftentimes think that Elijah went up in a chariot of fire, but he didn't. The Bible says that Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind. So there, what was the point of the chariot of fire? It was a test, and the test is this. When you have a call to keep your eyes fixed and focused on something, can you stay focused without being distracted By the supernatural activity of God, the supernatural activity that even God is sending into the room, can you stay focused on what you're supposed to be focused on and not be either distracted or offended by the supernatural activity of God happening all around you? Hard to do. Hard to do. Um, In our church in Austin, Texas, years ago, (laughs) we started seeing crazy, crazy manifestations happening. Nothing we were asking for. It just started like um, uh, gold would show up Uh, and cover like an entire section of chairs. And people would say, oh, it's just glitter. You guys sprinkled some glitter around. No, it wasn't because it would show up and then it would disappear. And you know glitter Glitter, glitter is like glitter is like the is like the herpes of craft supplies. It's like once it's there, it never goes away, right? It's like that's terrible. I can't believe I said that out loud. Oh, just thinking, like, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Oh, it's like people would say, "Man, you guys did that." No, no, we didn't. It'd show up and then it would leave. We had a guy in our church. Who was covered head to toe in gold for what? Three years? Yeah, he couldn't. He he worked in the oil fields in Texas. He couldn't wash it off. It showed up one day while he was worshiping and he'd try to wash it off within 15 minutes. It just came out through his skin. Bald guy, so all over his. I mean, just. He's like, this would have been great if it happened to a 14 year old girl, but I gotta go to the oil fields. (laughs) People look at me like, what did you just come from? A party? What's the matter with you? But he saw incredible miracles happen through his life. We saw crazy manifestations of God happen. We had people that showed up and we'd have, a, we'd have a feather clouds that would just like swirl around the air like a hurricane. You, if you Google, if you go online and Google Austin, Texas Cathedral of Praise feather cloud, you'll see some crazy footage. But when people came in and they stopped worshiping and they started taking pictures of everything, funny, one day everything just stopped. When the church became known for the manifestations more than for the presence of the Lord, I think uh, God went, no, ah, that's that. And it's not that the presence wasn't there. The presence never left. It was always there. But he's not, he's not validated. His presence isn't validated by the manifestations that do or don't happen. Yeah. Can you handle the supernatural activity of heaven going on all around you and you just stay focused on the presence? i not going to be offended by it. I'm not going to be distracted by it. Just love the presence. That's the deal. And Elisha keeps his eyes on Elijah. He fulfills the test. And as Elijah goes up, the mantle falls and he catches it. And he walks over to the Jordan River and he makes a crazy statement, crazy question. He goes, where's the God of Elijah? Wow. And when he does that, the water parts, goes to the other side and he got exactly what he asked for Interestingly enough, the Bible records exactly twice as many miracles that Elisha did as Elijah. One he did after he died. One of the weirdest stories in the Bible is the grave that they put Elisha in, uh, there's a group of soldiers coming along and one of the soldiers had died and so they threw his body into Elisha's grave and when his dead body hit the bones of the dead prophet, the soldier comes to life and pops up out of the grave, which begs some questions. Does he be like, you know, I'm, I'm going back and joining the military? Or is he like, hey, look, I've already died. Give me my purple heart. I'm out of here. I'm going home. It's like, I don't know. What does he do? What do you do? It's like, who knows? But it's a crazy story. This, this tells me something fascinating. And that is, if Elisha was raising the dead after he died... How hard can it be? <laughs> well, I need, a, I, need like a, I need to be prayed up to raise the dead. Well, Elisha did it when he was dead. So let your mind wander on that one for a while. Interesting because Elijah has a successor named Elisha. We never read anywhere where Elisha had a successor. Almost like his anointing was buried with him. It is where it was left. And uh, I think there's a lot of mantles of anointing that are where they were left. I wonder why I come to Delaware to this church. Because when I first got the invitation, I heard some, the word Mennonite came out. You know your history? I do. You got a history of revival in the Mennonite movement. That is extraordinary. And even if modern Mennonites aren't aware of it or have dismissed it or it's turned into something that's super religious, you see people like you see people in the Mennonite movement and they and they, they dress, they act, they look a certain way. Why do they do that? Well, for a lot of people now, it's just tradition and religious ritual. you know why it happened way back when? Is because there was a visitation of the Holy Spirit that showed up in such a powerful way that they were like we're set apart for everything else but the presence of God. And once people lost sight of the presence of God but kept the traditions, then it becomes religious ritual. But there was a time. Anybody ever heard the name Gerald Durstein? Mm Mm-hmm. Go read a book called Following the Fire sometime and you'll understand. Why, when all you have to do is say Mennonite, and I'm like, yeah, I'll preach in a Mennonite, even if it's got Mennonite roots and doesn't even remotely resemble. As long as as there's people that are hungry for the presence of God and are attached to the roots of movement that shook the nation, ah, I just want to come and hang out. You, You think I'm up here preaching to you guys. No, I'm up here drinking deeply of roots of revival that you guys carry that you may not even be aware of. A lot of oil that flows from the prayers of people that gone before us. And we stand in that river. It's that river of anointing. You have a tangible uh, uh, a passion for the anointing of God in your life. You, you'll start to pursue it and go after it. And you say, ah, oh, well, God can come to me. Well, that's a self pity mindset. I'm here to tell you that wise men still travel. Uh, yeah. Mm, amazing moves of God came out of the Mennonite church. And, uh, and I don't think God's done with it. Anointing and authority. Go to Mark chapter nine. And here's where we'll finish up today. <clears throat> Mark chapter nine. Say, so what does all this old covenant stuff have to do with the new covenant? Mantles of anointing and rods of authority. Jesus has just got done speaking to his disciples, predicting his death and resurrection. And now he says to them, he says, surely I say to you in verse one, Mark chapter nine, verse one, surely I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come in power. Everybody say the word kingdom. The kingdom is the message of Jesus. It is the central message of Jesus. Jesus didn't come preaching the gospel of healing, but healing is included in the kingdom. He didn't come preaching the gospel of salvation. Salvation is included in the kingdom. Everything that Jesus came talking about had to do with this, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's near you, it's close, it's within reach, it's in your midst, it's in you. The kingdom of God is, we were talking about this in Sunday school class this morning. Somebody asked the question about what is the mark of the beast? The kingdom of darkness is the parallel to the kingdom of God. Although there's no comparison in terms of power because the devil is on a budget. The kingdom of God is not a place, it's a perspective. It's the perspective of God. That's why Jesus warned against don't be looking for the kingdom here, or the kingdom is there, or the kingdom doesn't come through observation. It's not something where you're going to see like a sign saying, now entering the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is carrying the perspective of God. What is the mark of the beast? It's a perspective, it's a mindset. Where's the mark put? On the hand and on the head, the hand. It's the activities of man that don't involve the leading of the spirit. And it's the mindset of man that has divorced itself from God is completely leaning on its own understanding. The mark of the beast is not a literal mark you get. It's a mindset that's been around for a long time. It's activity that's been around for a long time. That's what marks the beast nature. The image and likeness of God stamped on you is the the spirit of the resurrected Christ taking up residence in you. The beast nature that we uh, align with when we push God out of our lives can cause us to be like the king in the Bible who ended up eating grass for seven years. The beast nature is any nature that we put on display that is contrary to the mindset of the kingdom of God. So it's not something that we're looking for off in the distance somewhere. It's something that's around you on a consistent and regular basis. Activity is contrary to the things of God and a mindset contrary to the things of God. So the kingdom of God is the perspective of heaven, the perspective of God. That's why Jesus said the kingdom is near, with you, present, Now, it's not something that we're waiting for. It's something that's already here. As we said last night, Revelation chapter 5, you are the kingdom of God. He's made us to be a kingdom and priests unto our God. The manifestation of the kingdom of God shows up when you and I minister to the Lord. The kingdom is not under threat. It's always advancing. It's never failed in the past. It's never going to fail in the future. And it's not failing now. It's never threatened. It's a big deal that you catch that because otherwise you'll think the highest thought process you can possibly be as an American is either a Republican or a Democrat. Might I announce to you that there is a third party and it's the one will exist long after all of the others have gone. All right? Hallelujah. Woo! The kingdom is not a democracy. Just on a roll here, so I'm just going to keep rolling. The kingdom is not a democracy not. Otherwise, the 12 would have chosen the one, but the one chose the 12. Uh Uh-huh. King Jesus. Oh, man. It's good. It's good stuff. Jesus says, hey, there's some of you standing here who are not going to taste death until you see the kingdom come in power. Next part. Mark chapter 9, verse 2. Six days after Takes Peter, James, and John, and he led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. It's a metamorphosis, it's, a, it's, it's glorified. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, as no launderer on earth can whiten them. Luke's account says his clothing is like light. <clears throat> and I want you to see what happens here. Verse 4 Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking. With Jesus. What is Elijah and Moses? Moses carried a rod of authority. He was the father of the law. Elijah carried a mantle of anointing. He was the father of the prophets. You have the authority of the word and the anointing of the prophetic and the spirit coming together to have a conversation with Jesus on a Mount of Transfiguration. Isn't it interesting? that the people from the old covenant that carried both authority and anointing, the two originators of that are the ones that show up on that mountaintop with Jesus. So what Jesus does in the new covenant is he takes what belonged to just a few in the old covenant and now he gives it freely away to anybody. 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 You say, well, I have to have a special anointing to walk in, uh, a special grace on my life to walk in power and authority. In Luke chapter nine and verse one, Mark chapter 10 and verse one, Jesus says to a group of unbelievers, behold, I give you power and authority over sickness and over demons and over all disease to cast it out. You say, wait, Bill, they were following Jesus. They were believers. No, no. They didn't know that he was a son of God. They never confessed him as Lord. He hadn't even gone to the cross and shed his blood yet. Technically, these guys weren't believers on, on any level. They were just watching what he did and listening to his words and responding in obedience, which maybe that is the greatest definition of what a true believer actually is anyway. But technically, by our theological standards, these guys aren't even believers. So if Jesus freely gives both power and authority, anointing and authority to unbelievers, don't ever believe for a second the lie that you're not worthy to carry the glory, the power, the anointing, and the authority of God. The new covenant takes this rod of authority that parted the Red Sea and the mantle of anointing that parted the Jordan River and puts it in your hands by his grace. And those bodies of water represent obstacles to the will of God. And I don't know what your promised land is or what the will of God is in in your life, but can I tell you, you're always going to face an obstacle. And most of the time when we as Christians come up against an obstacle, we think to ourselves something like this. Well, I guess all we can do now is pray. No, no, you have anointing and you have authority. And as we said last night, you're seated with him on the throne. Prayer is not you begging God to do something. Prayer is you you aligning your heart with his anointing and his authority to show up and see that obstacle to his will parted in your life. That's the deal with this beautiful thing of the authority of God and the anointing of heaven. And again, I don't know what your obstacle is and I, I don't know what you've got going on. Some of you are saying, man, I've been taking some hits lately and, uh, and I thought I wore the armor of God. Uh, we have a dear friend that, that uh, preached a message recently and she, she was a Marine and she has a, a, she had this um, uh, Kevlar jacket, this uh, bulletproof jacket. And uh, she gets up and she preaches. She said, this is like the armor of God. Um, having the armor of God on doesn't mean you don't take hits. And she said this, I thought it was so funny. She says, hey, do you know what it feels like when you get shot with a bulletproof vest on? I said, no, I've never had that experience. She says, well, I have. It feels like you got shot. She says, interesting, you still feel the pain and you feel the blow of it, but your life is preserved. And even though you're carrying the armor of God and wearing it, You may still feel some hits, but your life is preserved. You walk in the anointing and the authority of God means you respond to the word of God and the wind of the Spirit in any given moment, and between the word and the wind of the Spirit, everything that's necessary to see those obstacles part will be in your hands. I said this last night, and I want to just reiterate this again. The grace of God to walk in both anointing both, uh, anointing and authority will give you the power to be able to either confront or endure. Both of them, the lion and the lamb, are both wrapped up in Christ. He's called the lion of the tribe of Judah, but he shows up as the lamb. And some of you think, well, I hit an obstacle, I just have to, I just have to wait for God to show up and rescue me. Sometimes, yes, yes you be the lion and you let him come in and say, stand back and see the salvation of the Lord. And he comes in, shows up strong on your behalf. Psalm 24, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up your everlasting doors and the king of glory shall come in. The king of glory is strong and mighty. He shows up and he does what you you could never do. And you watch him, he rescues the whole thing. But then there comes a time where he says, take that rod of authority, take what you've got in your hand and stretch it out. Respond to his word and walk in authority and confront that obstacle in front of you. You will not be able to conquer what you're not willing to confront. And the thing is, in our lives, we find ourselves so oftentimes walking with a sense of powerlessness when we come up against an obstacle. And again, let me say this again. I don't know what your obstacle is to the will of God in your life, but we're all going to face them. If you did not have an obstacle to overcome, you could never be an overcomer. It's funny how that works. Obstacles demonstrate to you how strong you actually are, what you're actually capable of. And if you don't overcome the obstacle that's in front of you, the next obstacle that shows up will also discourage you. But with every obstacle that shows up, it becomes an opportunity to see the salvation of God move through anointing and move through authority to take you across to the other side into your promise. This is the inheritance of the believer that both in the old covenant, it's carried by a few, but in the new covenant, it's carried by many, many, many people. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Okay, those of you in here right now, you're facing, I'm going to ask you a bold question. Those of you right now, you're facing a situation, you see that there's a promise ahead of you, but there's an obstacle between you and that promise. I want you to stand to your feet right now. I just want to pray for you right where you stand. You can see what that obstacle is. All right. Those of you who are sitting around them, you are a prayer team today. I want you to stand up. I want you to find somebody around you and put your hand just lightly on their shoulder. We're going to pray today and we're going to believe that God's going to show up in anointing and authority and power and release breakthrough into this room. If you don't have anybody's hand on you, if you stood and you don't have anybody's hand on you, I want you to open your eyes and look for somebody. Look for somebody around here to, to, uh, to, to, to put a hand on. When I start to pray, okay, catch this with me. When I start to pray, I want you to start to pray. Don't listen to my words. I want you to begin to pray. I want you to begin to declare with power and authority the intentions of God over that person's life, that you see the Red Sea part, that you see the Jordan River part, that you see those obstacles to the will of God part. Ready? On I count to three, I want us all to begin praying. We're going to take about a minute and just go after this thing. Ready? One, two, three. Father, we just thank you right now that you've given power and you've given authority. And God, we just lift our voice right now declaring declaring that you are good. Declaring that you are good. Declaring that you are good. God, we don't make requests, we make declarations today saying Red Sea, part, Jordan River, part, addictions, part, financial issues, part, relational issues, part sickness and disease. Let that water be parted now to walk across to the other side to reconciliation, to healing, to wholeness, God. I just speak and release your wholeness into this room, God. That every every obstacle would fall now, God. Every obstacle to your will would begin to fall right now. And God, I just ask right now that you would fill every heart in here with hope. God, a supernatural hope a hope that goes beyond understanding, that goes beyond reason and rationality. God, I pray that that hope would fill their heart, that they would see their business doubling, that they would see their health being being improving, God, that they would see their strength and their youth being renewed, God, that they would see relationships coming back together and being restored. Thank you, Jesus, for calls and mantles of anointing and authority that you're putting into the hands and over the shoulders of every person in this room right now. And God, may we walk powerful and not powerless. I want you to make this declaration over the person that you got your hand on. Just tell them, you're powerful. You are powerful. You carry the power of heaven, you carry the anointing and the authority of heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just lift up an offering of praise to God right now. Thank you, Father. We worship you, God. We worship you, God. We worship you, God. We worship you, God. Amen. Pastor Tim. I'm going to say a
1: few things over you, and then I would like you to, whatever's in your heart, to say over over us as well. Is that okay? Okay. God, I thank you so much for Tracy. I thank you for giving her that creative heart, that. Uh, that creative spark. I thank you, God, that she hears your voice very easily and she sees She sees in her imagination. Uh, her imagination is where she hears from you the clearest. Is She sees pictures and moving video. It's like an inner world that she enters into and things unfold. And I thank you, God, that um, she's been able to access that in hard seasons. She's been able to access that in joyful seasons. It's been the source of the insights and... Uh, the book she's written and it's been the source of even some of the prayers that she's prayed over people and situations. It's informed how she has moved forward with her kids when things come up that are difficult and she needs wisdom. Uh, Thank you God that she's learned to cultivate that secret place with you where you reveal and unlock things in her imagination and then she's able to come out and and, uh, give counsel to her husband and counsel to a friend and counsel on the phone and counsel over Facebook Messenger or however that however that works, God. And I pray that you would continue to expand her reach, uh, that you would continue to enable her to be, uh, enter into people's pain without uh, carrying it away. Um, Put it on and bring it to you and then take it off and and sleep like a baby. And uh, thank you, God, for uh, relaxed shoulder muscles, even right after coming out of a hard interaction with someone whose life is coming undone and, And she steps into it to be comfort and to be hope and to be light and truth. God, I bless this woman. We ask that you would continue to be teaching her in her private, um, just in her own heart. And I ask that the things that you teach her, you would give her the joy of being able to help others see what she can see. Uh, I just have this this concept even this weekend that um, this is like both of you that both of you are. Able to walk into a room or, or, or go through an experience and your, your narration, your, your narration of what is happening and what happened, what took place is actually different from what a lot of people would have seen in the same setting. And it's by saying what happened that others begin to gain the eyes to see what you guys have kingdom eyes to see. And so Father, I ask for more of that, more clarity for them to say what they see and help interpret people's lives to them help interpret the situation according to hope, that they'd be like, um, going back to Elisha, the one who says, open open, my, open Gehazi's eyes to see what's real here, to see what's really going on. And I ask God, um, yeah, for more of that, for more clarity in that. Uh, if there's anything that the Father's been putting in your heart to just release over us, go right ahead. Okay.
2: Well, it's interesting what you talked about um seeing and and how you were what all this stuff you were just saying about seeing because i i ran to the restroom and as i was washing no it's okay as i was washing my hands i was looking in the mirror and speaking over my eyes because uh i just finished a second novel not long ago and the whole theme of that was seeing in christ seeing as god sees and it's all about perspective and since writing that, I've had some vision issues, and so I was just looking in the mirror saying, okay, eyes see as He sees, <laughs> like see correctly. So I think it's interesting, you're just talking about, you know, seeing, and and um, yeah, so I just think there's something to that. So Father, I just thank You today that we all are in You, that You made the way for us to be in You, and You are in us And Lord, today I just submit to you our eyes, our physical eyes, and our spiritual eyes, God, that we would see as you see. So Lord, today I thank you for perspective. I thank you for the new lens. And Bill talked about last night seeing through the lens of the New Testament. So Lord, I declare that we all have New Testament eyes. That today you would mark our eyes physically and spiritually to see in you. Everything that we face, every obstacle, every situation, Lord, that we would have the eyes to see it from your perspective and that we would stand with that rod of authority and in the anointing of the Holy Spirit to release the words, to release the life that you've put inside of us, God. So thank you for marking us today, for healing our eyes. In Jesus' name. And um, one other thing that comes to my mind is ever since worship, there was something that um, that kept scrolling through my mind, and it's a story. Um, I'll just tell you real quick. So many, many years ago, there was a, a small church in a tiny, tiny town in South Dakota in, in the middle of a really harsh winter. Um, the organization, I can't remember what denomination it was, but the organization poured in some money to hold a revival. And... So they put this pastor in charge and his board, and they said, we're going to have a a revival this winter. But not many people came out because of the storm, and the the weather was terrible. And this went on for a couple weeks. And there was a little boy who had gone to the altar, and he had accepted the Lord during that revival. And he came from a really abusive home, a really rough home, But he wandered into church later uh, after this revival had ended. And he overheard the regional director talking to the board and the pastor. And he overheard them saying, are you telling me that we poured in all this money for this revival? And all you got at the altar was one snot-nosed little farm kid? And that little boy was my father-in-law. And he grew up to do amazing things. He he saved lives, like both spiritually, uh, physically. Uh, he brought thousands and thousands of souls to the Lord. He grew up to do great things. And so I don't know why that story kept scrolling through my mind during worship. But maybe it's just to say that no matter how small or little or if something looks like, OK, this wasn't a success, if you've stepped out to do something and, and you look at the results or the fruit of it and you think well it's not much don't believe it because those little things are so significant to god and it matters and he's going to use it and he's going to pour through and and so that little seed that you've given him like it's such a big thing so i just bless you with that in jesus name like the little things matter So Father, I thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for the arms that have welcomed us here, Lord. And I thank you for all that you have planned for this body of people, for this church. And Lord, I just speak right now over Pastor Tim and his family, your blessings abundant, Lord, and gifts of joy and peace to be returned to them a thousandfold, Lord. And And I just speak multiplication in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, for the thing that seems so little that he's placed before you, God, but it is so great in your eyes. And maybe that's part of the perspective thing, is to be able to see as you see, because it is so big, and it's so significant, Father. So thank you for what you're doing in them. And God, I just speak a healing over this body right now in Jesus' name. Where things have been torn, um, where destruction has tried to come in, where divisions tried to come in, Lord, and where hearts have been wounded, we just thank you, Lord, that right now you pour your healing balm into those places, every crack, every crevice, because ultimately, Lord, we are all one. We are all one, and we are all together, no matter what happens uh, in this physical way, the physical... Situations, God. And so I thank you for uniting the body. I thank you, Lord, for speaking your healing over every life. Lord, I thank you for bringing in who you want to bring into this place, Lord, because your glory is to be revealed here and and across this region, Lord. So I just thank you, Lord, for that blanket of peace. And what looks like a really harsh, just in the spirit, um, just like what I was talking about, the revival that took place in a harsh winter, um, just in a spiritual atmosphere of harshness, that you are there, and you are doing mighty things, God. So just let it pour out. Let it flow in the name of Jesus. And God, I just thank you for the heart of this pastor. Thank you, Lord, for his, his tenderness And uh, yeah, just that your heart would continue to grow and expand in love and the grace of God. He gives you the words of wisdom to speak. And I just pray for encounters in the days to come uh, as you're out in public, whether it's at the grocery store, whatever you're doing, that God's going to bring people across your path and you're going to speak words of healing. So thank you, Lord.
1: In Jesus name, okay, can the prayer team come forward and do that stuff that they do? I'm a little drunk. I don't drink alcohol just to be clear. Uh, go ahead and stand. If you would like more prayer, please go ahead and come up. Uh, Tracy, if you want to pray for anyone with eye issues, that would be awesome. And then let's pray over the meal, too. Father, thank you for the... That is today, right? Oh, good. Yeah, I am a little drunk. Pray for the... Bless the... Someone else do this. Fine. Amen.